It sounds a bit parochial. Parochial. So I mean, let me uh, let me uh, Google that. What does that mean? Parochial, parochial means um, like a very parochial. Like it's a very small view like that you only view things really within your own probably only within your own paroisse that's probably where it comes from but like parochial relating to a church parish or having a limited or narrow outlook or scope like, I just, I'm being I just literally, <laughs> I just literally said both of those things. Like, yeah, I, I, I was reading off, reading off Google, but anyway, so, yeah. thank you. You know, you learn things every day. Parochial. There you go. Yeah. Hey everybody, Eric Renier here, and welcome to this new episode of the Numbers. I'm joined as always with my friend Philip J. Fournier. Philip, uh, how you doing today? It's fall. It's uh, well, welcome to the equinox. This is the best Ooh. season in Canada, according to me. Um, I think this, I like the fall too. Yeah, the fall is the best because the, the awfulness of summer is over, and we're not yet into the icy uh, the ice age of, of winter. Uh, I like uh, fall a lot. Hockey starts, the NHL starts, even though my team is going to be awful this year. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm happy. So we are at the equinox is today, so that means that the uh, the days and nights are exactly the same uh, time. And then, oh. uh, starting from tomorrow, it's going to be longer nights than days. So, uh, uh, you know, and again, I like this. I, I, I'm more of an hour out anyway. So, okay, that kind of sounds depressing, actually. But anyway, the night is longer than the day. Well, um, yeah. Well, it sounds like we're already talking about the liberals. Um, oh, so why do we get into that transition time? All right, <laughs> that's a good segue. <laughs> yeah, we'll start with the federal scene. Um, there hasn't been as many polls out over the last little while. Um, I did find interesting because I think last week we discussed the difference between the Nanos polling and the polling we saw from some of the other firms. And Nanos is starting, it seems, to move in that direction again. Uh, the numbers they put out this week, and they weren't paywalled, did have the Conservatives ahead by six points. So like in the last two weeks, it's more or less grown by six points, that gap between the two parties. But yeah. I actually found what was more interesting because the Conservatives bounced back and forth always in, in the polling was that Poiliev had moved six points ahead of Trudeau on best prime minister. Yes. And that absolutely. was the score that, regardless of whether the Conservatives are ahead by nine or if it was a close race, it was usually a close race between Poiliev and Trudeau. But this is the first indication we get from Nanos, which is a trailing poll because it goes for four weeks back, yep. that Poiliev has this kind of lead over Trudeau. And I think that's something to keep an eye on going forward. And I think it says more about the prime minister than it does about Poiliev. I mean, it does. Poiliev is is growing in notoriety, of course. He's getting more known uh, from the Canadian electorate. But I mean, Trudeau's personal numbers are beginning to be an anchor on the liberal brand. Is that possible? I mean, it was the, he was their best asset for a long time. Uh, but we we see, I think, for the first time since perhaps the, 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 the height of SNC-Lavalin, that Trudeau's personal numbers are lower than the Liberals. And so that can be interesting for the next two years. And how long will Liberal MPs uh, and Liberal strategists hold on to that? I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating if those numbers do not change over uh, the next few weeks or months. You mentioned uh, notoriety, and there was a poll that I put on my site. Uh, Polera had offered it oh. to me to go up. And I just loved this poll because what Polera did was they actually just asked people to put in the names of the yeah. leader of the Conservatives and the Liberal cabinet. So it wasn't like, here's Pierre Poliev, do you know who this is? It was, <laughs> who is the leader of the Conservative Party? And you had to write it in. And what I thought was really funny about it is that 
Polera provided me all the responses. That were, oh, they did, huh? <laughs> yes, yes. So I got all the ones that were right and wrong. And so you could see all the ones that people put in. And Polyev's name is seems to be the hardest name to spell. There were so many spelling mistakes on it, which I understand. It's a French name. And people pronounce it differently, right? You hear you hear Polyver, you hear uh, Polyev, you hear Polyev, you hear, you know, a little bit more of a yeah. French twang to it sometimes. Um my favorite one was that someone put in Power Polliver, which I thought was <laughs> really funny. And it was also an indication of how difficult I find a lot of English Canadians must have in spelling French names, because some of them were way out there. Like, they didn't even look like real French names from what I saw. So I thought that was funny. But 57% of Canadians, before the convention, were able to put in a name that was similar to Pierre Poiliev, who similar. indicated at least yeah. that they knew who he was. Um there's a way, like, Polera put that it was only 57%. I thought that was higher than, it was higher than I thought it was going to be. Really, huh? Well, it's still, I mean, he's been a prominent MP and then the leader of the opposition for one full year, including many, uh, I think, media appearances everywhere. 57%, you say, it would be high, in your opinion? I think it's, it's I think that means that 43% don't know or can't name who he is. Uh, I know a third of the electorate doesn't vote at all, so these people are disengaged. But he's not just some uh, sh- you know backbencher or sh- uh, or shadowy ca- cabinet minister. He's the leader of the opposition. He's the politician that's made the most noise in Canadian politics in the past year. I don't know. I found it. I found it. It was low a bit. No. I mean, it's low from a civics point of view. I'm just. I don't find it low from my expectations because mm. I, I. I think that a lot of people do not pay that much attention to politics, particularly when you're talking about an opposition leader. Like if yeah. this was done a week before the campaign and he was only at 57, percent uh, that would be a problem. <laughs> But like, or a week before voting day. But I, like, I didn't think it was that low. What mm. I thought was actually really quite bad yeah. from a civics point of view is that. Player also asked, can you name any cabinet ministers? So how they did this, they say, first they said, how many cabinet ministers can you name? So people could say none, one, two, or three or more. And depending on what they said, then Player gave them that many slots to fill in. Uh, Some people said that they could name some and then got it wrong. They named people who were wrong or that weren't actually cabinet ministers. But 40% were able to name one. But then it got really tough after that. 26% could name two. And only 14% could name at least three. Uh, So... If any of these cabinet ministers are thinking, one, that they have a lot of personal <laughs> appeal and, you know, people can win on their own uh, and become leader of the party, most people have no idea who they are. Uh, 7% named Anita Anand, yeah. and she was third on the list. It was Jolie had 15% and Freeland had 30%. Uh, yeah, like, it just shows that below the, the prime minister level or the party leader level, a lot of these people are unknowns. I mean, do we say that these people are idiots or that we're huge nerds? I mean, I think we go with the nerd <laughs> option, right? I mean, Somewhere in between. But, but, but 60% of people could not name a single cabinet minister. I mean, Christopher Freeland, she's been everywhere. Uh, hmm. You know, renegotiated NAFTA, uh, Minister of Finance, uh, Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, I, I was shocked by this. I and I know again. I know that you and I and people who listen to the podcast will follow politics more than the average Joe. But sixty percent not able to correctly name a single cabinet minister, who I think was shocking. But if I may, uh, Eric, I would like just to go back um, to the Poiliev question. People who could correctly identify the name of the leader of the opposition and, 
and conservative leader. Uh, it was when you break it down by party. Uh, also was surprising. So 72% of conservative voters could name Pierre Poilievre, which you could say, okay, that's that's pretty high. That's almost three quarters. Some people, you know, will vote conservative or vote for their preferred party, regardless of who is leader. So perhaps they don't know the leader name. Uh, among liberal voters, 66%. So fairly similar. Among NDP voters, 37% could name the conservative mm. leader. And yet he is trying to eat your lunch for the past year since he became leader, trying to court your voters. I, I thought that was fascinating. The, and that is so, I mean, not, I mean, barely a third of NDP voters could name the leader of the conservative party. I think that's a reflection of two things. One being uh, the NDP's voter base is younger and younger people knew probably have less than the others. But it's also an indication that there is some reason for the NDP to be worried about that, right? Because that means oh, yeah. that 60%, 63% of their base is not that familiar with Poiliev. Now, they might get a look at him and be like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> but it also means that a lot of them might be like, oh, that's who it is? He seems okay? Like, that seems like a bit of a risk, right? Because the liberal base knows who he is and yep. doesn't like him because they're not voting for him. Yeah. Uh, but the NDP base doesn't really know. So there is that chance there for the conservatives to get in on that vote. And I know that I'm going to say something that will anger some NDP voters, but I remember speaking to uh, prominent NDP people, say, and they said that, well, in general, NDP voters are more sophisticated in Canadian politics than the average voters. And it, it, maybe for, it, for some of it, it was true when you talk about some academics, but <laughs> then I'm looking at this poll like, oh, okay, he's been, probably has been either for one full year. And he's been all over social media, all over the news. Um, hmm, yeah, it, it, was, it was surprising. So, Well, yeah. if anybody claims their voters are better than the other voters, I think, uh, <laughs> well, more sophisticated, I think that's a dangerous but... <laughs> path. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I understand the argument, right? Because if the, the, you got the two big parties, and for a lot of people, it's just you choose between those two. So if you're voting for one of the other parties, you must be a little bit more in tune with politics. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... It depends on where you're from, right? If you're from yeah. the BC interior, uh, voting liberal would be the sophisticated, I guess, <laughs> view because no one votes for them there, right? So, like, anyway, yeah. I think it's code word for uh, um, it's not. It's a code word for it, trying to explain why they're not doing as well as other parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't understand. We're more sophisticated. Anyway, four uh, percent did name the environment minister Stephen Gilbo. Uh, a lot more in Quebec, too. And, but Well, a lot more, but 10% in Quebec could name uh, Stephen yeah. Gilbo. It's still not that much, I guess. It's, it's still not that much. And in Quebec, if you look at the numbers, 51% of Quebec respondents could name at least one cabinet minister. That's the highest proportion in the country. But when you look at the names that were named outside of Miss Freeland, it was Jolie, Gilbo, Champagne, Rodriguez, Duclos, uh, all Quebecers, and then 3% for Anand and 3% for Leblanc. Uh, which I, I think in the report it says some people call him Romeo Leblanc, which I thought was kind of mm. funny. But uh, <laughs> so eh, father, yeah. almost almost there. So uh, very, yeah. very interesting. It was interesting how at the regional level, some uh, with the exception of Quebec, the regional ministers did not actually have high scores. Right? Absolutely. In BC, the highest BC minister, I think, was Harjit uh, Sajjan. And I think he had 5%. Yeah, 5%. He had Randy yeah. Boissonneau in Alberta, I think, who did 3 3%. Uh, Dan Vandal, who is the only 
prime uh, minister in Manitoba managed one percent in the prairies. Uh, <laughs> it, it just shows. It just shows that it is really hard to get known. And I was listening to a podcast, and I, th- I can't remember who it was. I think it was Stephanie Levitz who might have said it. Or no, 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 sorry. It was Althea Raj on at Issue Panel. Right. And she said that she had heard from some liberal MPs that, you know, if they were elected in 2019 or 2021, they didn't know their election to Justin Trudeau. Like, if they think that they won on their own charm and charisma, they are going to get very disappointed in another election because... The vast majority of people vote for party and leader, and that's yeah. it. And that's it. it's nice that you think that you're well-known within your riding. Some of you might be if you're listening. I'm not yeah. trying to attack you. But do not believe that you can only win on your own. If you ran as an independent, the vast majority of MBs would lose. And, and, get, and get crushed, basically. Crushed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, <laughs> just a little bit of a, a, little bit of a check on, on anybody's... You know, humility. I think this poll was. I think it was and useful for that. Something that Dan Arnold, the uh, the, the CEO of uh, of uh, Polara, told me is also, again. I mean, when we when we see polls that ask impressions, positive impressions and negative impressions of politicians, if you go outside the leaders and maybe the minister of finance, uh, people will answer basically just based on reputation on maybe they heard something because again mm-hmm. the vast majority of voters never heard of these people yeah uh, and dan arnold uh, once he came on my old po- uh, podcast with the cbc he had said and i think he said this on the podcast i don't know because all those episodes disappeared um what the shame. way it works at the cbc uh, podcast don't last forever i guess but uh <laughs> he had mentioned that in a lot of his polling he would ask people's approval rating of the treaty of algernon uh, do you know what that is, Fredif? <laughs> I don't I you do. know. No? What is it? What is it? Treaty of what? Algernon. It's a treaty from uh, Star Trek. Oh, my God. I, I don't watch and, Star Trek. That's why. Oh, my God. That's funny. Okay. Yeah. That's really so anyway, funny. but he would get people who would who would give their opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, maybe they were Trekkies, but I, I think more likely <laughs> it shows how people will respond to anything, right? Oh, I love this though. That's yeah. really funny. Good going. Because it's a it's a baseline. Because if you can get fourteen percent to say that they're aware of the Treaty of Algernon, I mean, again, maybe they're they're Trekkies, but well, they're, it, no, it shows that not. if you're if you're scoring anywhere below fourteen percent, if that's what the poll showed, it shows that people are just saying they know know about it or they know who you are and they actually have no clue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I had a poster told me that at, in some poll just to try it out, they had the the offered the chocolate cake party. And the chocolate cake party did have some support in the poll, but again, well, that I mean, sounds good. I'd it, like to yeah. vote for a chocolate. <laughs> and and just just to clarify, Dan Arnold uh, used to be the chief pollster for the Liberals, uh, and he is, I believe, the chief strategy officer. I don't think he's, he's not the CEO of Polera. Oh, he's not. Uh, okay, I thought he was. No, Sorry yeah, about that. Just to clarify that, let's talk about two other federal issues. Uh, first, the big one I think is the news from this week about the announcement of. And we don't really have any numbers really to go on this, but it, it, it is a thing I think we have to talk about is that the announcement on Monday when Justin Trudeau said in the House that uh, the government had uh, intelligence that it was the Indian government who was behind the assassination yeah. of a Canadian in Canada. And there's been a lot of fallout from this. And I don't know, what do you have any thoughts about what this could mean i now we're we're not going to talk about foreign policy we're not those kinds of experts no um but and and you know you don't want to get too cynical about what is in effect an assassination and a yeah. murder but what kind of impact do you think this will have on on voting 
Not not just voting intentions, but just public opinion. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I think the biggest impact, if we, again, we don't want to reduce, this is a terrible story, right? But if we reduce it to the political side for a second, uh, this is an issue that should not, in theory, be a partisan issue. Right. And so will the party leaders, uh, Blanchet, Poiliev, Singh, and all of them, will they be able to set politics aside? And and talk in a united front about this. Uh, I think we had some indication of this this week, although there was a scrum by uh, by Poiliev who uh, wasn't too. You know, I think he, I think he, he he doesn't change gears very often. He's been so focused mm-hmm. on attacking Trudeau for absolutely everything and anything that to be able to just take a second and think, okay, we have to speak as Canadians on this and. Not let's not play politics with an assassination like this. Uh, I think that's the test. What do you think? Yeah, I think that is. And on Monday, I thought it was good. Everybody stood in the house and said all the same kind of things. On Tuesday, I did not think it was very good. When Poiliev came out and said what he said, he had said that the prime minister should come clean. Uh, he said that Canadians should see all the evidence. And he brought up how it was interesting to him how how Trudeau had acted on China, but not on India. Those to me were all very, I like. I thought they were unhelpful, not from a partisan point of view, but from a like this is a super delicate situation. Yeah. Um, and to raise the specter that that the prime minister is hiding things deliberately, coming clean, like I thought that was really, I thought that was. A real, a real misstep for him because he is right now being looked at as a prime minister in waiting. Yeah. And he, this was a moment to be prime ministerial, not to be partisan, right? And to say – also just the idea that Canadians need to see the evidence. I mean this is a murder trial yeah. in effect. Uh, we don't put crime no. to public opinion. <laughs> it's for judges and juries and like yeah. – uh, and so I thought it was a – I mean, there are lots of considerations here. Uh, Narendra Modi, the leader of, of India, um, is seen as a conservative. He's part of the IDU, which is the yep. international group of conservative parties. And so I, I, my concern is that there is a reflex here to say, well, he's on our side. And so he has to be defended. And to me, I thought it was like you want to see on this kind of thing, when it's come to like really delicate foreign policy issues – yeah, you do want to see that nonpartisanship, and I thought that fell apart pretty quickly, and I thought that was disappointing. Also, I mean, it's what CSIS discovers. Uh, I mean, should everything be public? That's I mean, transparency is good usually, but there's a reason why we have we have CSIS. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see about that. But I think that the liberals got burned by the China story, where they didn't get in front of it. Um, you know, the report said that basically the Globe and Mail had already hints of the of the story and yeah, were working on it. Yeah. It wasn't going to come out eventually. So does that does that make Trudeau right or wrong in having said it publicly? I I I, I can't be the judge of that, but at least it's good to inform the House so that they can take a course of action that will not be seen as partisan, especially in a minority government, right? Um, Whatever happens next has to get some uh, some agreement from the opposition parties. So um, 
it's a it's a it's a messy situation, and I, I I'm not very comfortable discussing this because again, I I did one class in foreign policy, and I thought it was I discovered how complicated it was, and yet I don't know anything. So, um, but anyway, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a story for the next session for sure. Uh, and it's going to be added up to the, the uh, interference uh, uh, commission uh, in the next months for sure. And I, and just from a kind of a political point of view, it it does displace a little bit of some of the other conversations, right? About housing, about inflation, and yeah. and so like that is going to have an impact over the coming uh, weeks and months. And then there's the whole aspect of diaspora politics and and what that how that is going to play out, and that we really. Don't have any clue just yet, right? So, uh, so this will be a one to follow. Uh, one last thing on federal politics: the centerized conservative, centerized Canadians, <laughs> centerized conservatives. Yeah. They changed their name a little bit. Yeah, finally came out this week and said they're starting a new party. It, I, I thought the name was funny because it made me think of. Uh, a party close to your neck of the woods. Wait, wait, wait! Uh, wait. Did they, they announce the name? I thought it was centerized. Well, it's no, not no, centerized because no, that would be a ridiculous name. Well, no, le centre the name, de l'Atlas. Yeah, okay. What is it? No, the name of the party is the Canadian Future Party. Avenir oh, Canadien. Oh god. A little bit like the CAC. Anyway. <laughs> so this is Dominic Cardi oh, uh, is going to be the interim leader. So he is a his his political voyage is kind of interesting. He started out as the leader of the NDP in New Brunswick. Uh, he eventually crossed the floor. Yeah. Not literally, because he wasn't. He didn't have a seat, but he he, went, he ran for the PCs. He was a minister. He had a disagreement with Higgs. He was booted from the the PC caucus. He's sitting as an independent in New Brunswick, um, and now is going to be the front of this party, this Canadian Future Party, which is trying to be a centrist option. It also has people like Rick Peterson, who is a former Conservative leadership candidate, yeah. uh, involved in it. I don't know what. What do you think about this this new venture? Uh, they if they don't get major names on board it's going to be i mean it's not even to reach uh, maxim bernier's party i mean let's be yeah. frank uh, i mean if we hear that i know people a lot of people especially in conservative circles uh when they hear the name jean charret now they laugh because poiliev absolutely crushed him in the leadership race but if like a jean charret type that still can you know have some attention in the media and have some support in play, in some places in the country you could maybe hope to have a handful of points but uh, so canadian uh, avenir canada why don't they call it coalition avenir canada and be done with it right it would yeah, be maybe the, that's where they're going to go it would be the it would be the cac canada oh it would be interesting i i, I find this story interesting i'm not sure it's going to go anywhere to be honest but who, what do i know uh, from a numbers point of view, to have another party that is not on the fringes, because this is where usually new parties find themselves. This is a party that's trying to be more of a centrist option. I find it interesting. I don't think it will work, but it could, and I'll be cor- I'll stand corrected if uh, if it ever uh, has a you know if it shows up in polls and has a, a, a bit of support. Yeah, I think you're right. It depends on if they get any big names. Uh, I remember during the leadership race, Abacus did do a test poll. Would you vote for a, uh, another party led by Jean Charest? And I think it got 9%. Yeah, 9%. Something like that. Yeah. Um, which would be great if this party could manage that. Because when Bernier first launched his party, they got under 2% of the vote. That's right. And even when they were at their high water mark during the pandemic, they only got just under 5 right? Yeah. So. 
Uh, we'll see what happens with this. And, and to me, it feels like this is more likely to hurt the liberals than the conservatives. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's no doubt about so, that. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it could take a few points off the conservatives, but the thing is, Poiliev right now is so popular with the conservatives. And also the fact that if you are a conservative uh, voter, uh, even though perhaps you don't like the way Poiliev is handling things, the fact that he's leading in the polls and he's probably going to, you know, he's in good position to win the next election, you won't jump ship. There's nothing that unites people around a cause than winning. And so he hasn't won yet. I'm not saying that he will, but he's in a good position right now. If he was at 26% and uh, his approval rating was minus 30, uh, it would be a different story. Um, but there, I, Yeah, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of orphaned conservatives right now, right? Well, they're already it. gone. They're already gone. They're, they're with the conservatives or they're, uh, yeah, they're gone entirely. So, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like there's as much of a window when the conservatives are at 40 percent no. uh, for a <laughs> centrist party, right? A PC kind of party. So we'll see. Let's uh, let's go to Manitoba. So there's an election yeah. uh, happening there. It's on October 3rd. So getting down to the last couple of weeks. And we actually finally had some polls. Uh, so earlier this week, we had one from Research Co., which showed a close race between the NDP and the PCs. The regional numbers were a little odd because it had a close race in the rural areas where the yeah. NDP usually trails by huge margins. Uh, but the new polls that we got just in the last couple of days were from the Angus Reid Institute and from Probe Research, which yes. did the poll for the Winnipeg Free Press and CTV. And both of these polls show the NDP in a really, really strong position, right? They're up nine points according to Probe. They were up what was it? Six points. Uh, yeah, six points according to uh, Angus Reid Institute, and twenty plus points in Winnipeg. So, if I see these numbers, to me, I see uh, an NDP majority. I don't think. To me, there's not too much question about that with these numbers. Yeah, I, I agree, and I will run later today. We're recording this on Thursday. I will run uh, and update the Manitoba three thirty eight Canada page. It will show the most likely scenario as being an NDP majority, but. It's not, an, because of the seat count and because of the vote distribution, Eric, it's not a crushing majority. It won't be like a 15 or 20 seat majority. It could be like a five seat majority. Um, on, because there are, no, those rural seats appear to, most of them at least, appear to be rather safe for the PCs, except for the northern ones, of course. Uh, the Winnipeg, those numbers are just crushing in Winnipeg. And I, the probe research is the probe research is the local Manitoba firm, uh, and I'm really interested to see their numbers and the, the, the progression of numbers over the last few months. But we cannot discount last election, Eric, and I told you this off air. But in the last election, I have the numbers here. Um, the, uh, the, the, the probe research had the PCs at 40% province-wide in their final poll of 2019. And the PCs at 47%. So that's it's a seven-point miss. That's way outside the margin of error. So is it just the, the 20th poll out of the 20? Is it just a one-time miss? Because even the best pollsters sometimes have the occasional miss. Uh, was it a miss or was it an underestimation of the conservative vote? Because if we have just three, four more points for the conservatives, suddenly they could be very competitive and could be a very close, like, 28 to 30 seat finish between the, the conservatives and the uh, the New Democrats. So I'm a bit nervous about this election, looking at the polls. But again, the Angus Reid Institute, which is not really known as a pro-NDP, right, <laughs> uh, has the NDP winning handily as well. So, 
Yeah, there is always a possibility that there'll be an underperformance and an overperformance for the PCs, underperformance for the NDP. Yeah. Because uh, when you do look at the uh, vote numbers here, I'm just trying to pull them up here. Um, when it comes to age, you have that the NDP is leading by 25 points among those 18 to 34, seven points between 35 to 54, which makes this feel a little bit stronger for the NDP that they're still leading among the middle age. Mm-hmm. But am- uh, among those over the age of 55, the PCs are head by two. Uh, and I don't have the probe numbers in front of me, but it, you know it would be the same kind of thing. So there is that possibility you'd expect the PCs are going to be able to do a little bit better and the NDP a little bit worse than where they are in the polls. But this kind of gap might be enough to cover that. My view of the 2019 campaign would be that was one that everybody kind of assumed the PCs were going to win. Yeah. Uh, the kind of progressive vote might have been a little bit less enthusiastic to bother voting. And, you know, that could have explained some of it. But when it's a close race like this, um, yeah, you, you kind of expect the PCs will do a little bit better than this. So the margins won't be nine to six points. It might be three to six points. Yeah. Uh, but it could still be enough because I think in a tie literal tie i think the ndp's edge in winnipeg still gives them the advantage in the seat count it's not as good as it used to be like 10 years ago the ndp could probably win with a popular vote deficit of a couple points now it seems as it gets a bit more Mm -hmm. kind of less uh uh, more the rural urban split i think it's a it's not working as well as it used to for the ndp but i i still think that they could withstand the kind of turnout effects that we would expect i have probes numbers here by age so 18 to 34 54% 54% NDP, 31 for the Conservatives. So that's 23 points. Among the 35 to 54, 52 NDP, 36 PC. Mm. And that's that hurts. That hurts for yeah. the PC. That's a 16-point yeah, yeah, yeah. gap. And 55 and older, you would expect the PCs to be doing much better, right? 44 PC, 43 NDP. So mm. those numbers say it's game over and the NDP would win. But again... Ugh, as probe research adjusted from four years ago, uh, or was it just a fluke? It's also, it's very possible. Um, and we see that the Manitoba liberals, we talked about this in the last, poll, uh, last podcast we did together, uh, won't have a full slate of candidates. So most likely they will underperform their polls. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, the same thing for the Greens. I don't know if Angus Reid or Probe had a number for the Greens. Yeah, they 2%. Nobody, so, yeah. Yeah. so they'll be lucky to even get one. With the uh, such a small slate, but yeah, the liberal vote. You do wonder how successful they'll be in holding their three seats because uh, Dougald Lamont and Saint Boniface. That's not a super safe riding. It used to be Greg Selinger's riding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you know the liberals do have to worry about losing uh, some of their seats. Uh, with these kinds of numbers, they would have to, it would it, it gets a little bit difficult to be, be in the minority situation. I would think, but yeah. As, as we said, if the PCs overperform a little bit, the NDP underperforms a little bit, then we could be back into a, you know, a 20, uh, 28, 26 kind of zone for the NDP and the PCs in terms of seats. And then those liberal seats matter a lot. But uh, we'll see what happens. A majority, you need 29 seats to have a majority. Yeah. And the thing is, if you have 30 seats, that means that everybody has to be there. The whip has a lot of whipping to do. Uh, and <laughs> and you sometimes would need that that's that that vote from the liberals to 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 help mm-hmm. yourself if you're the NDP. Um, so I you know I expect a close finish. Uh, perhaps I'll be wrong. Perhaps we'll see a similar phenomenon that we saw in Alberta, where all the other parties basically it became a really a two party race. 
save maybe for Douglas Lamont's seat. Uh, and all the non-PC vote will go to the NDP. And uh, Webkinu will become the first First Nation premier in Canada. A provincial premier, of course, in Canada. Which I think is in itself is interesting. Yeah, that'll be a, a, a big landmark. And for the federal NDP, again, if it happens, uh, for the federal NDP... Um, a win, right? And a little bit of energy. <laughs> and not a win that they they can claim and the provincial party is not going to like them. Like in, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, I had the Alberta NDP win. I don't think you'd see Singh uh, uh, going to Edmonton to go celebrate. Uh, but mm. here, there is a much closer relationship between the Manitoba and the uh, and the federal NDP. The chief of staff, I believe, of Jagmeet Singh is a former ND, uh, Manitoba New Democrat, right? So oh, there is those kinds of links. Interesting. Um, so th- there is a closer link there. So that'll be something to watch, and that'll be October 3rd. So we still got another chance. Next week, I want to do something with you about uh, oh. trying to choose some of the, the closest writings. So All we'll right. Gonna, Excellent. And we might get another election. I want to talk about New Brunswick <laughs> just very briefly. Uh, so we got news that Blaine Higgs says he's going to stay on as premier. Uh, yep. <laughs> he had an announcement, which I thought was pretty funny. It was on Twitter. And if you read it, it had the cadence and the structure of a last paragraph that says, and because of this, I am going to step aside and give someone a... Absolutely. Didn't have that. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. Yeah. Because I read the the memo before the headlines. Uh, And so as I was reading, I was like, okay, so he's leaving. Who would be a good PC leader for uh, for the numerous PCs? And then, no, I'm sticking around. So Mr. Higgs is deciding to fight. Uh, And... uh, as you said, I mean, uh, the, the election is scheduled for October 24. That's a year from now. Uh, what are the odds uh, that we get an early election, a snap election? Yeah, because we saw uh, an article from uh, Jacques Poitra. He he said there's lots of speculation that maybe Higgs will want to go sooner. Because um, he does have some internal caucus dissent. His poll numbers are, are good enough to maybe win, but they're not terrific. His personal yeah. numbers aren't very good. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a new electoral map that comes in, and I think that they, I think if they go earlier, they can get ahead of having to use it, uh, and so maybe there's there's going to be a chance of an earlier election in the fall, and that would be an interesting one. I like New Brunswick elections. Like there's provinces to me that are less interesting, and then there's a few that are more interesting. <laughs> Which one, Eric? One the- Which one? <laughs> No, no, kidding, kidding. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, yeah. Some of you have boring elections. I'm sorry. Um, no, New Brunswick. I like. I like New Brunswick's elections because they have the interesting linguistic divide. Yep. Um, the Green Party there is the third party, so that's a different kind of dynamic that is interesting. You have the People's Alliance, which used to have a bit of a role. Now it looks like it's fading away. Uh, but anyway, I find the ND, I find New Brunswick elections kind of interesting because it is, it is one of those where knowing how it's going to play out in the seats really matters because you can oh, lose yeah. PCs can lose popular vote by probably six points and still easily win. Uh, like they did in, in, um, 18. In, it was, uh, uh yeah. yeah. 2018, Mr. Gala won the popular vote by six points yeah. and, and lost, lost by, by one, seat. one seat. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I so if there is going to be an early election, I'm all for, for that New Brunswick. I, I, I enjoy those elections. Although oh, like, I, uh, you know, we don't have a huge schedule next year either. So I wouldn't mind holding it off, but well, next the, fall is going to be busy. We've got some elections. Next, next year's uh, schedule is all three elections in October. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have a boring year and a very busy October. So Saskatchewan, um, British Columbia, and New Brunswick. So perhaps they'll, they'll spread it around. But also I wanted to add, Eric, uh, I mean, the liberal leader, Susan Holt, uh, I, th- 
I, I do not know how she will perform in an election campaign, but it looks like she will be far more dynamic than Mr. Vickers last time around. Mr. Vickers, right. he seemed out of place, never seemed comfortable. And of course, you know, Blaine Higgs won that election. And so I think Miss, uh, Miss Holt will be a, a fiercer opponent than Mr. Vickers was uh, four, four years ago. So A bigger uh, contrast for sure. Oh, absolutely. And a, a younger a, a woman, a, a younger person, uh, as I said, more dynamic, uh, f- fully bilingual, which Mr. Higgs still isn't and won't ever be, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, when would you like it? When when would you like the election to be? I think I would I would like I think spring when the tulips get out, maybe in April or May, because in the winter, who wants a winter election? You don't, right? Yeah, no, it's a nice spring election. It's nice yeah. when there's an election in the spring and then some elections in the fall. So yeah, and yeah. Then we organize our vacations around that. That's, the <laughs> life That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you okay, want to go some, some questions, Eric? Yeah, let's do some questions. So um, so I'll read this one, and uh, I think I'll give you the, the, the ball after that for, okay. for the answer. So this was from Jaybird on Discord. Now, we take our questions from our Discord page and our Patreon page. Our Discord, I'm enjoying the Discord a lot. Me too. Uh, we've, yeah. we've, you, know, you can come there. We have some funny GIFs or GIFs. I'm not sure. I think it's GIFs, eh? Uh, and anyway, so to be a member of the Discord and the Patreon, you have to join our Patreon page at the numberspod.ca, and uh, you get early access to the episodes. If you're already a patron, you're listening to this on Thursday, not on Friday. That's right. No, why do you want to listen to this on Friday? So who knows what's happened since then? So anyway, Jay Bird, he said, why do the conservatives do well specifically in the Quebec City area and the Saguenay, but not in other regions such as the Eastern Townships and the Gaspé region, which are both pretty rural and older, good demographics? For the conservatives, uh, since you, you know, you're a Quebec-based correspondent, and you uh, spent some time <laughs> in Quebec City, there is always this this thing in Quebec, right? Le mystère du Québec, uh, de, yeah, de Québec, de Québec. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Why does Com- Quebec City vote conservative? Okay, answer. I'll I'll be very careful here choosing my words because I will get in trouble from my the, the city where I grew up in. I grew up in the suburbs of Quebec City, and uh, well, years ago, not that far. I mean, when I was young, Quebec City was basically a government town. And you had two industries in Quebec. You had the government and you had tourism, right? And so, you know, obviously in the government, you, there were nice union jobs. Uh, and in, in tourism, you get a lot of minimum wage jobs that are it's hard work. And of course, I'm overgeneralizing this answer, I know. But there was a lot of people that were angry at government workers for having it so easy in their minds. And of course, there is also um, uh, a surenchère of talk radio that trying to outdo each other and try to be more radical and more radical and more uh, uh, spectacular in their comments, right? So, so uh, that's... And so I think if you grew up in the suburbs of Quebec City, you are a typical suburban voter in Canada, which I think usually are swing voters between liberals and conservatives. And that's what we see. There are some liberals in Quebec City. Uh, but And if you're elsewhere in Quebec, I think your axis has always been more um, federal versus sovereignty. 
And even though that has lingered a bit over time, it's still a big issue for many people. And so I think it's uh, that's why it's it's more usually a battle between the liberals and the Bloc Québécois. Uh, Quebec City has changed a lot, uh, by the way. The, the, the economy has diversified. They have uh, a high technology uh, industries over there. So it has changed over time. But uh, those those roots uh, have lingered a lot. And the, the, the local MPs in Quebec City, for many of them, are stars. They are not known nationally. They're not known provincially. But they are known in Quebec City. I mean, Gérard Deltel is very well known in Quebec City. He was a, a, TV, a television anchor in his younger days. And so I think the conservatives were able to recruit well, good local candidates. Do you think there's anything to the idea of the Quebec-Montreal rivalry? Montreal oh, votes the, progressive, votes liberal, so Quebec has to vote conservative. Well, of course, but thing is, Quebec, people in Quebec City will say the opposite. Will say, "Oh, Montreal is you know it's it's you know it's full of uh, you know people who drink uh, lattes and you know I mean th- these are of course uh, simplifications that of the reality, and there's some of that too. Uh, at Quebec City is wall-to-wall CAQ at the provincial level, uh, whereas there's barely no CAQ seats in Montreal. I mean, there's Pointe-aux-Trembles, but Pointe-aux-Trembles is, you know, uh, Repensigny West, basically. The suburban, and yeah. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, I know. <laughs> and, well, that's my like, answer. You, know, that's you my look answer. at some of the other areas, like the, the Gaspé is, is the kind of one that you kind of would expect, and maybe it could be a conservative region. But, you know, I think that that area, like you said, it's one it's an area that's more of a federalist versus sovereignist kind of debate. Yep. And also because of the fact that uh, the Gaspé is not a region that has, um, you know, a lot of wealth and a lot of prosperity, that it does, it probably doesn't have as uh, a sour view of the government as much, right? That's that you right. need to have government support for the fisheries and these kinds of things. Uh, so you wouldn't have the same small government kind of independence, right, that you might have in rural Ontario or rural Alberta where you just want the government to get out of the way. Um, so I think that might be a little bit of an aspect there. And then, yeah, because if the block, when the block went down in, 20, in 2011, 2015, uh, a lot of those ridings in rural Quebec didn't vote conservative, right? They voted for the NDP. Yep. And then they voted for the liberals. So you don't have that. The conservatives are just not seen as I think a, I think a part of it is that they're just not seen as a very pro-Quebec party. Um, yeah, and I think that that legacy, which has been there since since the merger. Know, yeah. Well, no, before since Louis Riel, yeah. like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, talking about yeah. since forever. Yeah. Um, the conservatives are always kind of seen as an English Canadian party. Right. And maybe in some areas of the of the province, it's harder to get over that that historic leg- legacy of the of the conservatives, I think. Yeah, Pierre Poilievre, with a French name, speaks well French. Yeah. His wife is uh, francophone from Quebec. It it could change things. I'm not saying it will, but there's a potential there that it was not there with Andrew Scheer or uh, or Erin um, uh, O'Toole. Yeah. Do you want to... How about you read the next All right. question? We'll so, okay, so Kevin James on the Patreon asks us, how much of Green MP Mike Maurice, I believe it's Kitchener, right? That's, yes, uh, Kitchener Center. That's right. Mike Maurice's re-election chances are based on a Green National campaign and how much on his personal rec- record. Now, we, we preface this question by saying that Mr. Maurice won fair and square, but the fact there was no liberal candidate. He was disqualified. Yeah, uh, he withdrew. Yeah. He withdrew. So, 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 of course, it helped the, the Greens help that, uh, hold that, uh, that seat, well, gain that seat, rather. But what do you think? Do you think that... Uh, it's his personal campaign is more important than a national campaign. I think in his case, it will be. I think for Green MPs especially, 
the personal kind of campaign is more important than the national one. And because I think that the biggest hurdle that green MPs and MLAs and whatever have to get over is, is my vote actually going to elect anybody? And I think once they prove that they can actually win, then they can do far better. Right. And I think that's what we've seen in a lot of uh, ridings where green MPs or MPPs or MLAs have been elected is that the next time they have a bit of an easier time because that psychological barrier of am I throwing my vote away uh, goes away. So I think that, you know, a lot of the vote that Morris got from the liberals because there was no liberal candidate is probably going to stick with him uh, a lot of it. And so I think that he does have a chance to be reelected, but he didn't win with a huge margin, right? I think he That's had right. 32% or something Mid-30s, in Kitchener Center. Yeah. 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 So he is probably going to need to have more support. I don't think he can probably win again with that. So that'll be an interesting thing. The Green campaign last time was just awful. Terrible national campaign. Yeah. So Oh, God, yeah. Presumably they can do a little bit better this time because um, otherwise they're doomed. But, um, yeah, I, I would think I would give him decent chances of being reelected. I, hmm. I would say it's probably more than 50% if it was if I had to give him odds. Although you say that uh, he has to get more than the mid-30s. I mean, if there is a liberal candidate in that writing, and we assume there will be, I mean, that's an even more split vote. So you could win yeah. with 28% of the vote if it's a, it's a evenly split. And I know we and we know Kitchener voters, I mean, every party has a bit of support there so yeah it's not going to be in a landslide either way unless mr maurice takes all his charm and goes to house to house and so it's it's going to be a very interesting one and for the liberals that's a net loss the fact that because they probably would have won that seat uh, yeah. with their candidate but now they lost it and it's going to be much harder to get it back okay let's uh You have something for me, a well, quiz again this week. We didn't do one last week, but we, you got one this week for me. We quizzed our uh, listeners, and uh, I think the results came in that the quiz was quite popular. It's fun to put Eric on the spot, right? Yeah. It wasn't so, unanimous. It wasn't unanimous. <laughs> we had one dissenter who did not like the quiz that much, All right. but we'll go ahead anyway. So uh, the quiz is a bit different this time. It's a bit shorter. Uh, okay. So what I will do is I have three politicians Uh, recent politicians. I'm going to go ahead with the first one. I'm going to give you a clue. If you get it right, you get four points. If you don't get it right, I give you another clue for three points. If you get it right, you get three points and so on. So four Got clues it. maximum per. Uh, so the maximum is 12 points. To win the quiz, you have to have a majority of the points. So that means seven out of 12. Uh, my, my, my clue here is that these are not necessarily active politicians, all of them, but they are recent politicians. I'm not taking some obscure social credit from the twenties or something. Okay. Okay. So are you ready, my friend? Sure. Uh, I think, well, which one should I start? Okay. I'll start with this one. So first clue, first politician for four points. <clears throat> As a young man, this former politician always had politics in his blood. As he became president of the youth wing of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario in the late 1980s. He was first elected in the Ottawa area riding of Nepean in the 1995 Ontario general election. At the time, he was the youngest member of the legislature at Queen's Park. Do you know who that is? 
You cannot have man. one get. You cannot have one guess for free, of course. Not more than one guess for free, but per clue. Okay, uh, I feel like I know who this is, but I can't think of it. Um, PN. And, and I'm sure if, if you're an Ontario PC or you're like, it's of course this guy. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Um, da, 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 da. Youth wing of the party, PN. Uh, John Baird. And you get four points, my friend. Yes. It is John Baird. <laughs> Yes! Wow! Oh my god! Okay, and I didn't, I didn't see your hands moving, so you did not Google it or Wikipedia it. So, all right. Well, the thing is, I guess my last three clues will go in a, in a wastebasket because you got it, John Baird. So, four points. What were the other ones? Let's uh, you all just right. go through them quickly. Sec- second, second clue was he was re-elected in the 1999 Ontario general election, then joined the Mike Harris cabinet as the Ministry of Community and Social Service. After Mike Harris resigned, Ernie Eves became Ontario Premier. He was promoted as Minister of Energy, where he was entrusted with selling off part of Hydro One. That's the I don't think clue. this would have helped me. I don't think no. it would have helped me. The third in the next one. The third clue was, although he was easily re-elected in the 03 Ontario election, this politician left Queen's Park to run for the federal conservatives in the 06 election, and he won in the federal riding of Ottawa West Nepean. I would a have got seat, it there at least. You yeah, would have got sure. it there, yeah. A seat yeah. he would hold until his resignation. And he was appointed president of the Treasury Board by Stephen Harper. And he also became uh, environment minister, although he had been a vocal opponent of the Kyoto Agreement. And the fourth clue was this politician resigned in 2015. Shortly before the Harper government was defeated, he endorsed Pierre Poiliev in a 2022 CPC leadership campaign. Okay. But right. you get the full... P- you have to... I think yes. that was... Yeah, my God. Good for you. Okay. Second politician. This sitting federal politician grew up in Montreal. She is the daughter of parents who have been notably involved in politics. Her father, an accountant, was president of the Liberal Party Finance Committee in Quebec. Her stepmother was an MP who represented Laval-Est from 2000 to 2004. Okay. Um, That's for four points. Oh, boy. Yeah, this one seems a bit tougher. Um, uh, Okay, so current liberal uh, Montreal. And she, female. Yeah. I don't know. I'll just say Melanie Jolie. And that's the correct answer. There you go. You won the quiz. <laughs> Eight that was points. A, I guessed. I just said woman from Montreal is a liberal. I, I guess I'm just like in that poll that that was the only people that people could think of. Okay. Well, hey, I'm good. Well, that well, that was just a guess. Well, it, it, it's still. I think it's, I think you would have had this one anyway, but maybe not on the first clue. I thought you know I give you the what the parents did. Um, okay, well I, I didn't I'll know just. That, That's interesting. I didn't yeah, know that. I'll I'll read the other clues just for fun. So her first stint in politics was at the municipal level, where she founded her own party and obtained yeah, a surprising twenty six percent of the vote in a twenty thirteen Montreal municipal election, an election that was won by Denis Coderre. You would have gotten there, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and of ca- in case you didn't, my third clue was she was elected at the House of Commons in 2015 in the Ahansek-Cartierville uh, riding and was appointed to the first Justin Trudeau cabinet as Minister of Canadian Heritage. In 2018, she became Minister of Tourism and Official Languages. And at this point, if you still didn't have it, I would really judge you. My fourth clue was... Be, yeah, that would be kind of... My fourth clue yeah, was she currently serves as Minister of Foreign Affairs. <laughs> so... Well, apparently only 15% of Canadians could have got that. So uh, there you go. Okay, so you already won the quiz, but if you want to go, go for the you want to uh, go yeah. for the perfect score? 12 All for right. 12, let's do it. All right. Okay. This former politician became member of the federal NDP at age 19 when he was studying law at McGill University in the 70s. At McGill, he was elected president of the McGill Law Students Association and sat on a council of the McGill Student Union. His first stint in active politics began in the 1994 Quebec election, where he was elected under the Quebec Liberal banner. Oh, okay. Uh, see, I was thinking you're. I was thinking like Brian Top. Um, hmm. Former that would that, the, the first clue, the, yeah. The first part of the first clue would point to that, yeah. But yeah, uh, okay. Quebec Liberal in 1994, former Dipper. Um, I got, I got no uh, Tom Mulcair. Oh my god, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my, it was too easy, I guess. Oh my God. A perfect score for Eric on the quiz this week. I couldn't... You know what's... what's I, you know what? What's actually really funny? I thought I was sure it wasn't Tom Mulcair because I, I was like, he was never part of the NDP before he joined the NDP and apparently he was. Yeah. So we're learning. Learning so much. I'll still go through the clues just for fun. Sure. Uh, because uh, you, Boy. You, you really cut the quiz short this week. All right. Yeah. His riding was the very safe liberal seat of Chomedé in Laval where Jean Charest defeated the Parti Québécois and took the Quebec Liberals to power in the 03 general election, this politician was named Minister of Sustainable Development, Environment and Parks. In 06, Jean Charest allegedly demoted this politician over disagreement on the development of a ski resort in the Mont Orford National Park. After leaving politics, this politician went on to federal politics. Yeah, I would so, have totally got it there, that's yeah, for sure. exactly. See, the first one was just a guess. I, had, I was just... Again, picking out of a hat. So I don't know if I get full marks for this, but... The fourth clue was this uh, politician ran for the federal NDP leadership after uh, the Mike, uh, Jack Layton's passing in 11 and 1. So, I mean, right. you would have gotten it, but you needed the points. And now 12 out of 12. So, I mean, the next few quizzes, you have yeah. to get a perfect score. Otherwise, it's a downhill slope. No, I'm banking these going forward. It's been, <laughs> we're going to keep track over the course of the podcast. We'll see if I get 50%. Wow. I'm impressed. Okay. I, um, I I'm thought impressed you would, too, but I, I, I was guessing. I, I, th- I thought you would win. I checked the, the points that you could get. I thought you would win, but I did not expect a perfect score. Bravo, Eric. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I, I'm Two were guesses. One was an actual informed guess. The other two were like, eh, these are people who mildly f- fit these descriptions. Anyway, I'll take it. <laughs> Okay, number of the week. Why don't you go? I gotta go. Uh, I uh, I uh, I'm choosing uh, 125. Uh, the reason I'm choosing this number is we had uh, uh, the first report of a redistricting uh, map for the uh, for Quebec provincial districts, 
And the question now is whether Quebec will retain all 125 ridings. There are some rumors, I don't, I'm not sure how founded they are, that we could increase the number of MNAs in Quebec because some regions, such as La Gaspésie, uh, would be losing a seat because their, 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 their writings are not populated enough. And so the only way to mend that bridge would be to increase the number of MNAs, but I'm not sure uh, the, the CAQ has appetite for that. So 125, will we get more than 125 MNAs in the next Quebec election? I'll uh, be following that file very closely over the coming months. How long? What, I don't know if you know this. How long has it been 125? I was trying to look it up. I believe the 94 election, Jacques Parizeau, I believe that was 125. But before that, it was lower. So it's been okay. like almost 30 years or 30 okay. years. Yeah. Okay. So it's not written in stone. So we'll see. No. All right. Uh, here's my number. So my number is 81. Okay. 81. This was the share of Canadians who say they're not attached to the monarchy in a <laughs> Leger poll. <laughs> the poll found that 63% of Canadians, including 78% of Quebecers, think it is time to reconsider ties to the monarchy. I don't think this is a monarchist podcast. I have a, I, I, I have a, I have a notion we might both be Republicans on this, but um, <laughs> I think it's interesting that it is almost a unanimous opinion, and yet nothing's going to happen because no one cares enough. Well, the, and the process to remove the monarchy is a arduous and long and po possibly painful one. Uh, you would need you would need all provinces to agree. It's, it's not seven out of ten on this one. You would need all provinces to agree on this, and the federal, and the Senate, <laughs> and there are so many steps to remove the monarchy in in Canada. And then what do you replace it with? Uh, so I mean, I think we agree that the monarchy is a joke, but it's like better than other alternatives i don't know but i think we agree that yeah it's to, to to swear allegiance to the king of england in this day and age is well i'm going to be polite and say it's 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 kind of uh, dated yeah just a tad anyway if you're a monarchist <laughs> you can write to us and tell us that we're wrong and god save the king and all that kind of thing but but uh, register first become a patron first so you can tell us in our yeah book and yeah so yeah we we will only take abuse if you also <laughs> send us some money i think that's fair and in if you want to do that if you want to send us your abuse and or love uh you can get early access to every episode of the numbers and participate in our discord where we are chatting about politics mostly joking about politics but we also <laughs> get uh, questions for our weekly mailbag you can become a patron at our patreon site and you can find that at thenumberspod.ca so go there and do it and if you've already done it and you're listening to this on thursday like a winner then thank you so much, and uh, we'll Absolutely. be back for another episode next week. So thanks very much, Philip, and I uh, hope you have a good weekend, and we'll chat again next week. Next quiz, you won't get it perfectly, I can tell you that. Merci beaucoup, tout le monde. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon.